If you take your Bibles with me and turn in them to the book of Romans, we are once again returning to our study of chapter 12 as we pick up where we have been for the past several months. And we are gaining an understanding from the Apostle Paul about Christian conduct, how we live as Christians, not just in the church, but how we live as Christians in every area of life. So we are going to begin our time this morning by by introducing really the second section of Romans chapter 12. We I said to you several weeks ago that Paul lays out an argument here in chapter 12, and we have broken it down really into two different sections. The introduction going in verses 1 and 2, section 1, verses 3 through 8, and then this second section here in verses 9 through 21. And I want to read it for us, but before I do that, would you bow with me for a word of prayer as we dedicate our time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we are here as your students, as your children, sitting at your feet, if you will, and hearing from you as to how we, as your children, are to be how we are to live, what is to be the essence of our life, what is to be the drive of our life, what is our life to look look like in practice, in word. And so, Lord, we ask that you would impress upon our hearts and our minds the truth that we hear this morning, that you allow your Spirit to cause us to understand so that we would be exactly what you desire, by your power, conformed to it. So attend to our time this morning as we soberly think of these things for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Let me begin for us in verse 9 of chapter 12. The Apostle Paul says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted in prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Rather ironic that over the last few weeks, the Lord has us in this section to be hearing truth concerning humility and love from a voice that lacks so much of it. In all of us, we resonate with the words that the Apostle Paul says here, and oftentimes, and should rightly ask ourselves, do I, in fact, exemplify these things at all? Because the Christian life is not easy, at least from the perspective of action. 
It is easy in the sense that God has equipped us and given us power to do what he has commanded us to do, and yet we find the reality in all of us that we do not do what he says. And so as we begin our time this morning, we cannot forget this reality. The reality that we are hearing from the Apostle Paul that Christianity is a way of life. Christianity is a way of life. In other words, we are not Christians simply because we think differently, simply because in the world our acquaintances, those within our own households oftentimes who do not know Christ, those within our extended family, we are not Christians because they think differently than we do or we think differently than they do. No, our Christianity is seen not just in how we think, but in reality in how we live. How we live. Back in the book of Acts, the first Christians were given an interesting name. They were called the way. The way. And they were called the way because of how they lived. And how they died They died differently than those who died regularly. They died with a hope. They lived with a hope. They had a faith that showed itself outwardly in the works of life. Just as James 2.20 says, faith without works is dead. And so here in Romans chapter 12, we are seeing just how it is that we are to live as Christians. Just what it is that this faith working out in us looks like. And all of our Christian living is to be governed by the principle that we heard in the first two verses. All of our Christian living is to be undergirded, it is to be governed, it is to be founded on this principle, the principle of self-offering. The principle of self-offering. We've looked at that in detail. Just how this is to be seen in operating in us. Specifically, as of last time, how it's to be operating in the body of Christ. How this self-offering life is to be outworking itself in our individual lives as we operate within the body. How Christian conduct plays itself out in the church. Now we come to this second section that goes from verse 9 to the end of the chapter. And here there is a little turn, if you will, a turn in direction from the specific use of our giftedness within the church and how we are to practice that through the sense of humility and through the sense of self-offering. So now a a general conduct, if you will, a general conduct of Christian to Christian, but also in our conduct or our relationship with the world. How we are to conduct ourselves as Christians outside the body. Christian to Christian, world to Christian, Christian to the world. And I'm sure, as you noticed when I read this, that Paul makes this up by way of a series of statements. You can categorize them a lot of different ways, but I want to categorize them in this way. In verse 9, we get two overarching principles that are the rule and are to rule our whole life. These are two overarching principles that ought to be an outflow of this self-offering kind of life, the conduct of you and I as Christians. So there's two principles there that we will begin to look at this morning. Then when you go to verses 10 and 11, we are exhorted concerning our general attitude as Christians. And our attitude as Christians specifically towards what we are as Christians and toward one another as Christians, and toward our duty as Christians. Well, that's what you find in verses 10 and 11. This exhortation about our attitude, 
our attitude toward what we are, toward uh, one another, and our attitude toward our duty as Christians. Then when you get to verses 12 and 13, you see just that is how it is that we are to react to differing circumstances that God allows. How are we to react as Christians in the outworking of our Christian life to circumstances that God allows, whether it be for our life or for the life of someone else? How we're to respond and interact with those kinds of realities that take place in all of life. And then as you come to verses 14 through 16, we see how we're to react to other people. Other people. And then verse 17, in the end, is our reaction to wrong, our reaction to evil. How we're to respond to wrong and to evil, whether it's people, whether it's circumstances, wherever, whatever direction that evil comes, how we're to respond to that. So there is this action-reaction kind of theme that runs through these verses. What is to be our action and our reaction to life? So that by the time you get to verse 21, Paul sums it all up in one great general principle. Don't return evil for evil. Now, if we think about the Apostle Paul and all that he has been teaching us thus far in our study of Romans, we can easily come to the conclusion, and probably rightly so, that he is simply putting in his own words, as he's led by the Holy Spirit, what Jesus Christ summed up concerning the essence of Christian living. Paul really is somewhat of a commentary, if you will, on what Jesus has already said concerning Christian living. We looked at it several years ago when we were studying through the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 31. Here's what Jesus said as he was in a discussion with the Judaizers of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees who were very religious people. Outwardly, they had all the religious duty And yet inwardly, they were like dead men. And they were having an argument with Jesus. And one scribe comes to him in verse 28 as he sees this going on and recognizing that he had answered their questions well. It says he asked him this, what commandment is the foremost of all? What is the greatest commandment? Jesus, of course, answered, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, or the Lord our God, is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Well, this is the essence and the practical outworking of what Jesus has said. The taking of what Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees there in Mark chapter 12, Paul is is flushing that principle out, if you will, in our lives. And Paul is in essence saying in verses 9 through 21, love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor, even if your neighbor is your enemy. And I might even add, especially if your neighbor is your enemy. Jesus said that it is love that is the summary and fulfillment of the whole law. Love is the summary and fulfillment of the whole law. And so if we are going to practice that, And if we are going to practice that through the outworking of the commands that we hear in these verses, then we better ensure that we understand and constantly bear in mind the truth that we've already heard in verses 1 and 2. The reality of self-offering. If we're going to practice what we're going to hear in verses 9 through 21, then we better have solid in our mind and in our hearts the reality of the truth of verses 1 and 2. I cannot emphasize this enough. I tried to emphasize it back when we were in verses 1 and 2, and I keep jumping back to that because it's so necessary. If we are not first embracing and practicing that truth, 
then we will never be able to do what this portion of truth says. We think it's it's somewhat simple. Okay, we'll just list these things and we'll start doing these things. And, and maybe on the outset, we could look at ourselves in the mirror and we could say, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm doing okay at this. I mean, I, I'm actually reaching out and I'm actually caring for and I'm actually speaking with and I'm actually rejoicing and I'm actually weeping with those who weep. I'm, I'm mourning uh, when, when they mourn and I'm rejoicing when others rejoice and I'm not, I don't think I'm thinking too high-minded of myself. And, and we get down to the end and we say, I certainly don't repay evil for evil. And then we read verse 1 of chapter 13. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. And we've just come off hearing the news about some foolishness. And we immediately remove ourselves from the group that's the every person. Because we don't understand verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 yet. Because the offering of self hasn't really sank deep within us. So if we are not first embracing and practicing that truth, then we're never going to be able to do what we hear from verse 9 on. And that is simply to say two things. One of those things is that these truths are only for Christians. They are only for Christians. In other words, this is not a list of moral tactics. This is not a list that Paul gives for those who want to carry out some kind of morality in their lives. Somehow it can be employed by just anybody, even an unbeliever, so that their life would be better or so that their life would be acceptable to God in some kind of way. This is not some moral list of do's and don'ts that by if you do them, you will somehow be okay with God. This is only something that true Christians can do. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, then everything I say this morning ought to only be in your ears the words of foolishness until you embrace Jesus Christ. It's impossible for you to do it. These are only for believers. It is only believers who are equipped by the Spirit to do these things. But you and I will not do them if we first, even as believers, do not embrace the truth of verses 1 and 2. They will be just like the Pharisees. We will be just people who claim that we are people who follow after God when in fact our heart isn't even right with God because we've forgotten our place before God. So if we, the Christian, are not motivated by the reality that we are what we are as a person, I am what I am, and by gifting I am what I am, by the mercies of God and only by the mercies of God, if that is not what motivates me in my life of action as a Christian, then it's futile for me to even consider these commands impossible for those who are without Christ to obey the commands of God, and it's futile for us as Christians to attempt obedience to the commands of God without being motivated to do so through an understanding of the mercy of God that is upon us all the time. And I trust that we understand that, and I trust that we will see that even more so as we go through these things. These are absolutely impossible to do without an understanding of that foundation. So what then are the overarching principles that Paul lays down for us here in verse 9? What are they? Well, they're easy to see. They're right there for us in the words. There are two of them. Number one, love without hypocrisy. And two, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. If we were to have someone write our gravestone marker today, this ought to be it. He or she who lies here under this six feet of dirt, in this whatever they have laid you in, loved without hypocrisy. 
They abhorred what was evil. They clung to what was good. In other words, these should be the entire summary of our Christian lives. Because these two principles cover everything. In fact, these two principles are the essence of the very communion table that we will celebrate in a little while as we remember Christ. The first great principle, of course, is love. Love. But you notice it isn't just love. It is love without hypocrisy. Love without hypocrisy. If you turn over to chapter 13 and verse 10, you notice that Paul uses this same terminology in a different way. He says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore it is the fulfillment of law. So we can see right there with clarity, love is the fulfillment of law. There are some within Christendom and some within evangelicalism of our day who want to pit those two against each other. That, oh, we just love one another. We just, we just kind of love people. We're not of law at all because we're, we're of love. But that just is another way of saying, Paul saying in chapter 13 and verse 10, it's just another way of Paul saying what he says here in verse 9, love without hypocrisy. In other words, love is the only thing that makes the law of God possible. What is the law of God? Well, the Jews of Jesus' day got it all wrong, didn't they? Didn't they? They thought it was some set of rules. Uh, a, a, a rule book. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. They added up those rules and they added more rules to those rules. It was rules on top of rules and they claimed to be experts in the law. What did Jesus say to them? Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Why? Why were they hypocrites? Because you tithe mint and dill and cumin. You're doing tithing. You're doing what, what, what is a requirement by way of the letter, but you have neglected the weightier provision of the law. In other words, you look good, but you've neglected what is true. What is the essence of it? Well, what are the weightier things? The things that manifested an understanding of true love. That was the weightier things. Those things that manifested an understanding of the love that Jesus was talking about, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. You see, the law is summed up in love to God and love to your neighbor. And so to reduce it to some set of rules was simply to become a moralist, to become someone who bet your life on your own morality. But those things, certainly those, those realities... Tithing, what they were tithing, those need to come in. Those, those aren't just disregarded. They need to come in. And Jesus said it in Matthew 23, 23. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. In other words, you tithe that. You, you should do those. You can't neglect those. You should do those. But you can't do those and neglect the other things. You can't neglect the weightier things. You see, the other things are needful, but you have to start with love. If we don't, we always go astray. 
In other words, we can give offering all we want, but if it's not from a heart of love, it means nothing, right? 1 Corinthians 13. They were doing a whole lot of action, but they had forgotten that principle. They had forgotten the relationship. Now, when you look at verse 9, we know there are several words that are used, especially in the Greek language, for the word love. And Paul uses the strongest one here, agape. Uh, We could say a whole lot about that word so that we could gain a better understanding of it, but I think the clearest way for us to to really think about it is to know that agape love is the love that God has for us. The love that God has for us. So what Paul is saying is that our Christian conduct should be reflected always by the kind of love which God has loved us. Now think about that. Our Christian conduct is to always be reflecting the kind of love which God has loved us. That's why I read the description from 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. Because I knew we were going to be thinking about this. I knew I wanted our minds set on that. I wanted us to get a picture of what that love looks like in action. And so what Paul is saying to us is that our Christian conduct is to be ruled by the kind of loving outlook that characterizes the same loving outlook that God has for us. Agape. That self-offering reality. What kind of love does God have for us? Well, well, on, a, on one level, it's, it's unconditional, right? God loved us in spite of us. God loved us regardless of the ugliness of us. And because of that, we are to regard ourselves in light of that love and in relationship to that love. In other words, we are to think of ourselves as being the recipients of that love. We are by the mercies of God, right? It was unconditional, had nothing to do with you per se, that drew God, you to God. He didn't look at you in his own mind before ever creating you and say, boy, there's something lovely about them. I'm going to take them. It was none of that. And so because of that, we are to regard ourselves in light of that love, and in relationship to that love. We are to love God and love our neighbor. We are to love God in light of His love for us. I am to love God, and because of my relationship to that love, which God has for me, I am to love my neighbor. And so Paul says that our love is to be without Hypocrisy. 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 That simply means, beloved, that we cannot be faking it. That's what it means. Some of us might have a desire for acting. We like acting. It's it's an art in our society. It was an art in the ancient world being somebody you're not, playing out somebody you're not. Well, when it comes to love, we cannot be doing that. We cannot be acting. We cannot be pretending. It must not be hypocritical love. It has to be honest. It has to be true. Otherwise, it's artificial and untrue. There is no part way. I used this illustration last week. We have artificial plants here. Part of that plant is not real. It's all artificial. You can't have part real and part artificial. Not without a good roll of duct tape. It's the same. It means when we love, we cannot be deceptive and manipulative. We cannot be deceptive and manipulative. 
We hear a lot today about love, don't we? In our world, oh, we ought to just love on each other. We need to just love. Can't we just all, you almost hear the words, can't we all just get along? Can't we all just have a big group hug and it'll make everything better? No, the question that needs to be asked is, is it real? Is it real? Or are people just deceiving themselves and manipulating others? That's the reality. Love of the world is deceptive. Love of the world is manipulative. The love that Paul is talking about is a love that's free from play acting. Free from something that's put up as love but isn't love. The word in the original language meant holding up a mask. Holding up a mask. You have a, you're, you're hiding behind a mask. So when Paul is here speaking about love, he isn't talking about just being polite. He isn't talking about just being friendly. I think far too often if someone's friendly, they get described as being a loving person. They may or may not be loving because friendly may or may not be love. Right? Being friendly is putting on a kind of outward affableness. It's an outward sense in which I'm affable. I'm, 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 I'm easy around people, if you will. But that isn't necessarily love. It's an appearance. It's an appearance of politeness. That's what affableness is. Just polite. That isn't love. Because biblical love is deep. Biblical love is never sentimental. It's never weak. Listen, young people, you young people here who have yet to find a spouse or find a husband or a wife, listen, you need to hear something. You cannot fall into love. You cannot and will not ever fall into love. At least not biblical love. Can't fall into it. You may say at some point in your life, oh, I fell in love. I fell in love with this person. The world likes to say that. But the reality is that it's another four-letter word that starts with L. You lusted. You lust. It may not be a sexual lust, but it's a lust just the same. Unless we think that love and law don't go together, unless we think and get in our minds this idea as Christians that you can have love, but it doesn't have to be with law, we best not forget the words of Jesus Christ. The first great commandment. What's a commandment? A law. The psalmist said in Psalm 110, Oh, how I love your law, how I love your precepts, how I love your commandments. It's all the same. The first great law was love. Ever think of it like that? You say we can have love, but not the law? No. The first commandment is love. The love is law. To pit that against love, to pit the law and love against one another is to misunderstand the entire Bible. In fact, without the fulfillment of law, none of us would be saved. Without the fulfillment of the law, we would not be here as Christians. Why? Because we were lawbreakers. But we were by nature. We're lawbreakers. We're born a lawbreaker. I said last week, you either woke up this morning a slave of righteousness or a slave of sin. Which is it? Before Christ, we were all lawbreakers. And it was because the law of God had been broken that Jesus Christ had to come and die according to the law. His death was a massive divine legal transaction. And so without the fulfillment of the law, we would have no salvation. So love doesn't oppose the law. Love fulfills it. Love fulfills the law. 
So what is Paul saying then when he says, let love be without hypocrisy? If love and law go together, if love is law, if love is the fulfillment of law, if the commandment is love, love therefore is law, what's Paul saying? Well, certainly he means that we must keep God's commandments. When he says love without hypocrisy, that's, that's there. That's an implication. We have to keep the commandments of God. John 14, verse 15, Jesus said this, If you love me, keep my commandments. So how do we show that we love God? How do we show in action how we love God? With our whole heart and with our whole mind, with our whole strength, how do we love God? By keeping His commandments. Keeping His commandments. When God says, love me, what He means, obey. When we obey, we are giving proof that we love God. Listen to, again, Jesus in John 14. He who has my commandments, John 14, verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So think about this with me seriously as we think about what the Apostle Paul is saying here in light of what he has already told us in verses 1 and 2 and the outworking of our giftedness in the church, the outworking of this principle of self-sacrifice. Think about this with me seriously. If we Christians will not obey God, then it is foolish for us as professing Christians to talk as if we love God. Think about that. Think about the implications of that. Think about your giftedness in the church. Think about you in your own home, in your own family. Think about that with your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers. If we as Christians profess Christ, we believe what Jesus said, we believe the Bible, we believe the truth, if we as Christians will not obey, then it's futile for us to talk as if we love God. Because we do not love God in words. We love God in action. Love God in truth. Again, John 14, verse 23, Jesus, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. So we need to be clear in our thinking about love. Love is something that always shows itself in conduct. It always shows itself in action. And again, we're not talking perfection here. We're talking direction here. There's no perfection this side of glory. We will be glorified. God has promised that. We heard that in Romans chapter 8. We are in the mind of God already glorified because Christ died, simply because God has justified us. We are glorified. There's coming a day when we will shed the the sinfulness of this world and embrace immortality with Christ. We will be like Him. So we're not talking perfection here, but we certainly are talking direction. This ought to be the direction of each one of our lives. Paul is saying. Love is something that always shows itself in action. It's not just feelings. Not just feelings. Feelings are there. God has given us feelings. God has given us emotion. We have them. It is a God-given reality and gift. I'm thankful for feelings. I wouldn't be able to have sadness if I didn't have emotional feeling. Thankful for that. But love is not simply feelings. Love is obeying the commands of God. Doing what God has commanded. In fact, in fact, the Apostle John, who gave us 
the gospel from which I read John 14, the apostle wrote in his epistles in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, he hones that laser of the words of Jesus Christ down to an even sharper point, if that could be even said. He says this, the one who says, I have come to know him, that is to know Jesus Christ, and does not keep his commandments, that one's a liar. He's a liar. And the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has been truly perfected. Matured. Seen. It's a reality. So this is the teaching of Scripture. This is what the Scriptures teach. To love God is to follow God. To love God is to do what God has said. It's not some kind of machine-like robot kind of obedience. It's not some kind of orchestrated, I do this and uh, this is what, there's no heart involved, robotic. No, God wants our hearts. God wants our desires. We are to love Him, thereby we love His Word. You see, it's a heart issue, not just an outward morality issue. The reason we obey is not simply because God said to do it, but because we love God. We love Him, which implies that we love His Word. You see, if if we just keep the law but don't love the law, we just keep His Word but don't love His Word, then we love hypocritically. That's what Paul's saying. Love without hypocrisy. Love God. That's where it starts. Love God with my whole heart, mind, and strength. So to love God without hypocrisy. Well, if I, if I just do the rule, if I do the duty, but I don't love to do what God has commanded, I don't love the command then I don't love God. I, I can't really go about saying, I, I'm, I'm struggling with that. Therefore, how do I ever love my neighbor? You see, it's this love that is to control our conduct. It's this kind of love that controls us, that, that is to be the controlling center of us. Conduct that is seen in keeping the commandments of God. But not just keeping them, loving them. Psalm 119, the psalmist said, Oh, how I love your law. How I love your law. In other words, it's sometimes the outworking of our life, if we're honest, that we do things, but we really don't love it. We only do it so that we're not punished. So we preach to ourselves, okay, I'll do this, because if I don't do this, it's going to be a punishment on me. But if we understand what the Scriptures are, if we understand that the law, that the Word of God is the outworking, it's an expression, if you will, of God Himself. The Word of God is an expression of God Himself. So to love His Word is to love God. To hate His Word is to hate God. But if the law of God is just an expression of God Himself, then when we love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, we love His Word because it's an expression of Him. Therefore, we must love the law. He says, you love his law. Paul says, listen, Jesus said, you shall be holy because I am holy. You love me, love my word. That's God's agent to transform you to holiness. And so when Paul says here in verse 9, love without hypocrisy, let love be without hypocrisy, 
He's not denying the fact that there is no love. He, he's saying, listen, I know love's there, but let that love be without hypocrisy. Don't let it simply be a rote action that you take because of duty. Let your life of obedience to the commands of God be without reservation. Let it be wholehearted. Let it be full. Let it be from a love for the truth of the Word of God. Let your life be in obedience because it's a, an outworking of a love for the Word of God. Don't obey God because you want to please yourself or please others. That's just pride. Uh, that's just an exaltation of self. No, please God above all things and live for His glory. Remember who you are and by what means you are who you are. By the mercies of God. Put it into practice, Paul is saying, 1 Corinthians 13. Put it into practice. You know how hard it is for me to stand up here and say that to us when I know I fail at every level of that. When I read through 1 Corinthians 13 and go, no, that's not me. No, that's not me. No, that's not me. Because the flesh is fighting all the time. By the way, by the way, these are commands. These are commands. So if we're sitting there going, I don't want to do that. We better check ourselves back at verse 1 and 2. In order to obey, in order to love, we have to ensure that we're not ruled by our feelings. We're not ruled by our likes and dislikes. We have to ensure that we're not ruled by, if I'm not in a good mood today, then I'm not nice today. If I'm not in that good place, then everybody else watch out. No, love is always thinking thinking it through. Love is always processing. Love is always taking the moments and processing the moments. Processing it through the grid of Scripture, always coming back to the truth of verse 1. By the mercies of God, I am what I am. Whatever God has allowed in me, I relinquish myself to Him for the sake of His glory. Because I'm not my own, I'm His. And if I get stepped on today, that's okay. If I have to stand silently while I'm abused as Christ was silently before His accuser, that's okay. Because I just want to love without hypocrisy. I want my life to be such that it isn't a play acting. It isn't a love that's out there for show, that's only on the outside, but I really hate it on the inside. So Paul says, apply this principle. Paul says, listen, in light of the mercies of God, in light of what God has done for you, examine your love in light of that truth. Examine your love for God and examine the outworking of that in love for your neighbor. And as long as you do, you will be on the path of loving without hypocrisy. Love without hypocrisy. That's the first general principle. Huh. Pretty small hurdle to get over. There's another overarching principle here. But I know you're glad we're going to get to it next time. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. I think it'll be striking for us to find out exactly what that means. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that Your Word is so sharp. Even for those words to pass 
off the tongue and through the lips. Almost seems frivolous because we don't really embrace it as such. We know that it divides down to the thoughts and intentions of our heart where nobody else can see, nobody else knows. No masks can hide what's there. You see it all. And so, like a loving surgeon, you open us up and you reveal to us just what is on the inside. We are grateful that you don't allow us to see everything at once. Oh, how devastating it would be just by the fact that we see a little bit. So much work you are doing. So gracious that you have given us the gift of Jesus Christ that the final work is complete. And now you're in the process of conforming us. Thank you for that. Thank you for your grace and mercy to do that. May we never forget the reality that we stand in grace. That nut of ourselves, it is a gift. You have granted to us faith in Jesus Christ. You have drawn us to yourself so that we might have life in Christ. What a precious gift. Forgive us, Lord, for taking that for granted. For living by way of duty and not by way of love. Help our duty to become the expression of love. Love for you as we love your law. And through that, reflect love for one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Process of conforming us. Thank you for that. Thank you for your grace and mercy to do that. May we never forget the reality that we stand in grace. That nut of ourselves, it is a gift. You have granted to us faith in Jesus Christ. You have drawn us to yourself so that we might have life in Christ. What a precious gift. Forgive us, Lord, for taking that for granted. For living by way of duty and not by way of love. Help our duty to become the expression of love. Love for you as we love your law. And through that, reflect love for one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.